Welcome back to Trendstorm. Now let's take a look at the new reconciliation proposal for Syria. The latest Syrian peace initiative proposed by Russia is the formation of local reconciliation committees in the de-escalation zones, raising hope that the war might finally approach its promised political solution. The idea is that the armed opposition would join together with legitimate government representatives in these territories in order to deal with the wide array of issues related to the planned conflict settlement in the country. It's inferred that this could also relate to the specifics of the new constitution and upcoming elections as mandated by UNSC Resolution 2254 from December 2015. Since both sides are officially no longer fighting one another within the de-escalation zones, this suggestion makes sense, and it appears to be the only peaceful way forward for the country, though there are still some in the opposition who disagree. Spunik reported last week that, the Syrian Opposition High Negotiations Committee has opposed local reconciliation deals in the country, stating that they should not serve as a substitute for wholesale political settlement, which might therefore diminish the chances that their allied militias will go ahead with this initiative. In the event that they don't, there is little that the Syrian Arab Army or Russia could do to force them to reconsider, seeing as how the de-escalation zones are just that, zones where a cessation of hostilities has been commenced, and it's unlikely that either of them would use military means and break this agreement in order to get their way. This makes the Reconciliation Committee proposal an ambitious one fraught with the obvious risk that the most important intended parties, that's where three external guarantors of the de-escalation zones, Russia, Iran, and especially Turkey, come in, as they'd in that case be expected to encourage the on-the-ground actors in those spaces to give the Reconciliation Committees a chance, bearing in mind that neither great power will technically be involved in this strictly intra-Syrian affair once or if it commences. Even this approach isn't guaranteed to succeed, but it's the best that one can hope for under the present conditions in being prohibited from using force to coerce the opposition to the negotiating table. If this latest attempt at finding a political solution fails, however, it might cause some parties to rethink their commitment to the de-escalation zones and reverse the progress that was made over the past couple of months. So folks, this is a huge topic and it's very important because it means that peace might be on the horizon if everything goes successfully. So we're going to be speaking to two Syrian guests today. And the first one is Ms. Jamila M. Asi. She's a Syrian blogger at Shababik Surya on Facebook and JamilaEyes.com, whose work aims at offering a platform for a counter-narrative to that of mainstream media on Syria. All right, Jamila, how are the Reconciliation Committees supposed to function, and what are some of the obstacles to their implementation, both in being organized in the first place and also in terms of being practiced? I'd like to start with the second part of your question about the obstacles of the uh, implementation, whether it's about organization or uh, about how are they being practiced. If you go through what the opposition media has been saying over the past few days, you will notice that actually no, most of them are not willing to consider this uh, reconciliation as they consider it to be a kind of distraction from their main goal, which is uh, regime change in Syria. And this does not show any real intention to change the situation, although the de-escalation regions that have been established have proved that the efforts done by the Russian government and the Syrian government have been of great use to the civilians because huge humanitarian aid uh, has been delivered there over the past few uh, weeks. So this is a huge problem when the partner, the main partner in this reconciliation does not 
consider it something valid. Uh, for instance, the uh, human, uh, Syrian Observatory for Human Rights also has uh, announced that they do not accept this reconciliation. So I think this is something serious that should be considered. About how they are being uh, practiced, we have also to think that those armed groups in those areas are controlled by exterior, uh, some, some exterior forces. Any attitude they take is not theirs most of the time. So we have also to consider that there is somebody moving the, them like toys. So this is also a serious problem about how uh, they are supposed to function. I think we need to consider not only the armed people inside those uh, areas, we have also to consider other political figures which exist in government-controlled area. So we have to consider all those sides. Okay, thank you. This is pretty interesting, Jamila. Well, if we take a bit of a broader look at this topic, uh, we know that the committees will only be in the de-escalation zones for now, not in the already liberated territory. So what complementary framework, if any, is taking place in that part of the country in promoting a political well, solution? I think, as we know, in the liberated areas or government-controlled areas, what, what a lot of people don't know and what mainstream media does not mention, there is a wide group of Syrian people who are actually politically against the government, which is normal in our, any country. So giving those people uh, more space to participate in this process and having even more flexibility, I think this would, this would make uh, the situation more flexible and help everybody to find better solutions and to make better progress. Because we have seen um, things like what happened in Astana, for example. Uh, everybody was willing to, to do all what it takes to improve the situation, but there was always one part that would stand up and say, I don't like this and would move away. So we have, I think, to focus on the political opposition in those liberated area and in government controlled areas, and we need to give them good part of our attention because they are as important as those in control of areas that have not been liberated yet. Right. Well, the last thing I want to talk to you about then, Jamila, is uh, Trump's uh, latest announcement where he said the U.S. won't seek to export a quote-unquote democracy abroad anymore. So what implications do you think this will have for Syria, specifically as it relates to the influence that the U.S. might put on its so-called armed opposition allies in the de-escalation zones to participate in the reconciliation committees? Because you mentioned in response to the first question that there are foreign parties at play here that are influencing these on-the-ground actors. So how important of a factor do you think uh, Trump's announcement will be, if any? Actually, apart from the fact that we cannot take statements, whether of Trump or the American administration for granted, unfortunately, but if this comes to be true, yes, it would be of huge importance, especially that there is now a legitimate American presence on Syrian territory and there is uh, clear American support of military forces on the ground, whether they are separatist gr uh, Kurdish groups, some of the Kurdish groups, not all of them separatist groups, or other groups. USA has been clearly funding and supporting terrorist groups in Syria or keeping a blind eye on providing those terrorist groups like Al-Nusra or ISIS or Jaish al-Islam and those groups, they have kept an eye closed on providing those groups with weapons and with money. So if that statement comes to be true, 
it would change the entire equation. But I believe it will not, because a few days ago only, Trump gave his speech about uh, Afghanistan. And when he was running his presidency campaign, all he was saying that we will pull our groups and we will stop our military presence there. And the same was said about Yemen. But uh, yesterday or two days ago, uh, his new announcement was, well, if we pull out now, we will leave a vacuum that the terrorists will use. So unfortunately, I don't believe that neither the American administration nor Trump himself uh, are willing to take that step where they would uh, pull, uh, pull themselves out of this situation. And even if they do, I believe that they would still have other proxies through which they would run things in, uh, into, their own, uh, into their own interest. All right, Jamila, thank you very much for explaining all the details about these reconciliation committees and their prospects. Uh, that was very valuable and very useful for us to know. Thanks a lot. All right, now we're going to swing over and speak to our other guest. That's Mr. Stephen Sakhuni. He's a Syrian-American journalist. Hello, Stephen. Welcome to Trendstorm. Okay, Stephen, if they are successfully put into place, what role do you foresee the reconciliation committees playing in driving forward a political solution to the war on Syria? As we know that the Syrian government, about one year or two years ago, when the, the new government, the, the Syrian president Bashar al-Assad did the new government, he did a ministry just for that, and they did a big role in, uh, and the minister is uh, Mr. Ali Haider, and he, and they did a big role in a lot of towns and big numbers of terrorists that uh, they put down their weapons and, uh, uh, and give and give up and they came back to this, their normal life and to their uh, everyday life and they stopped fighting and, and everything behind them. Big numbers of cities, in, especially in suburbs of Damascus, we saw the big peace treaty that happened between and it was Syrian 100% with no foreign intervention in uh, Al-Wahr and the city of Hamas. We've seen it in um, also, uh, in Aleppo in many areas. In many areas uh, around Syria, in the end, uh, the same people, if it's now or after five years or 10 years or 15 years, the same people, they're going to they are going to have to learn to live together and uh, to stay together and to rebuild the new Syria, to rebuild the Syria that this bloody and ugly war have destroyed. So in the end, whatever the political uh, views of the Syrian people in the end, they're going to sit on a table and are going to get along to rebuild Syria. And this is the big role of, uh, of what's happening now. And there's, and there's no areas going to come in, uh, into this, uh, uh, in this area, uh, in this, uh, as I say, treaty and, uh, and the ministry is every day uh, working on getting more villages, getting more areas, getting more cities. Uh, into this, uh, back to the, uh, back to the Syria. Anyone, uh, anyone in Syria can, uh, any terrorist who has no blood on his hand, he can put his, uh, weapon down and he can give up and he can surrender and his past will be er uh, erased completely. What I want to ask you about this, though, Stephen, is uh, is I see that you're very optimistic about the prospects uh, of uh, what this can lead to, and I do agree with you that this really does seem to be uh, the way forward for advancing a political solution. But do you think that the armed opposition in each of the four de-escalation zones will agree to and uh, participate in this initiative? And what can be done to peacefully encourage those who refuse to take part? This is the problem is that they're... Uh 
as I say, what they do is not in their hand. They get told what to do. Like, let's say the so-called armed opposition to me as a Syrian and as a journalist, I see them terrorists, fanatics uh, who are using the name of uh, God and the name of Islam for terrorism. So their, their, their decision is not in their hands. They get what they told by either Riyadh or Turkey or Dauha or, or those countries or the United States that tells everyone what to do in, in their people. They tell the Turkish, they tell the Saudis, like, in the end, if the Syrian government and their allies on the ground and their uh, uh, friends, Iran and Russia, they take a decision, they want and they sit on the table with the Americans because the Syrian president uh, the other day just did a big speech and it was live on TV. And he said, when, uh, when we are sitting in Astana and when we are sitting in Geneva, we are not sitting with these people who are calling themselves opposition. We are sitting with their masters. And he means by the United States, France, Britain, and those countries. Okay, I see, Stephen. Well, the last last thing I want to ask you, because we only got about one minute left, real quick, is uh, what do you think is going to happen with the Kurds? I mean, they're not in Astana, they're not in Geneva, and they're not part of any de-escalation zone. So what kind of role do you foresee them playing in the context of reconciliation committees? Look, there's a big uh, pressure happening by the, the Israeli occupation and the Americans to do the Syrian Kurds just like the the Iraqi Kurds. There's a big difference between the Iraqi Kurds and the Syrian Kurds because the Syrian Kurds are nuts. Okay, some of them, some of them they do, some of them they do want, some of them they do want their own country, but that will not succeed and they know that it will not be successful because the, look, the Kurds, they just, before the crisis, they just wanted a little bit of their rights and they, they got it. They're Syrian citizens now. They have jobs, they have parliament members. So I think they, they know if they ask for their own country, even if it happens, it won't last one year or two years even. And because it's dead, it's a dead country before it's even born. Because the Syrians will not uh, allow it, the Turkish, the Iraqis and the Iranians will not allow it. So I think it will not happen and just a pressure that the Americans are using to the, to gain some more uh, political thing. But uh, this, Syrian government will not allow it completely. And we've seen uh, statements from the highest levels of the Syrian government that when we are fighting to the last centimeter of piece of land that we have in Syria, and that means the northeast of Syria. And I, and I think, and I'm for sure, I know that uh, the Kurds, they know that their benefit is to stay during, uh, in the Syrian Arab Republic. So I think in the end, and we saw many areas in the north of Aleppo where it's all Kurds. They surrendered, they gave the whole village and the whole town to the Syrian army. So I think when the Syrian army comes in closer to their resort and the borders of their resort and the borders of Raqqa, I think there will be more uh, uh, agreement and deal between the Syrian army and the Kurds. And the Kurds will give the up their, not give up their weapons. Sorry. They will uh, do co uh, cooperation work together. So they can fight their ISIS and then they will come back to the, as they used to before. Now they're running their own country because there's no, uh, there's small numbers of army up there. But uh, when the Syrian army starts coming closer to their land and starts coming closer to their Zoranata, I think then they will say, no, here, this is everything. All of the, here's all of the land. It's for the, under the Syrian army and we're under the Syrian army, but they will sit with the Syrian government and discuss 
and give them what they want and what they need as a Kurd people in Syria. But, but a country for themselves, that will not happen because the Syrian people won't, doesn't want it. The Syrian government and army will not allow it completely. And the Kurds by themselves, they know that uh, it will not help them. And they are the biggest uh, loser if, if that happens. All right, Stephen, that was very enlightening. Thanks for giving us a peek at what might be, uh, what might be coming in the future. I appreciate that. Trendstorm. Now, folks, if we think back on what both Jamila and Stephen share with us today, we can see that the reconciliation committees are a positive step in the right direction, even if they are fraught with the obvious risk that some of the intended participants, the so-called armed opposition, might not take part. So we need to see what's going to happen, but we have to keep our fingers crossed because this is the right initiative. This is the right thing to do at the right time. But the other side might just not be ready for it. And in that case, there's not much that Syria or Russia can do. So we'll have to see how this unfolds and hopefully keep our hopes up. All right, folks, if you want to sound off and share what you think about this, please send us an email at radio at or find us on Facebook. Stay with us. <laughs>